This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, the effects of childhood cancer treatment decades later. Just because I survived didn't mean I was cured. And the ensuing life after that diagnosis and surgery and radiation was very, very different than anything I'd ever expected. Long-term effects of cancer treatment when Radio Health Journal returns. Experts say that the meat and potatoes of our diets today should be potatoes and meat. A more plant-based diet with Idaho potatoes in the center of your plate has definite health benefits. It can help prevent diabetes, control high blood pressure, and improve heart health. A plant-based diet can also help you lose weight and improve your intake of essential vitamins and minerals, according to registered dietitian Danielle Omar. Potatoes are packed with nutrients, especially potassium, a critical mineral that supports heart health, and unfortunately 97% of Americans don't get enough of. It's extremely important consumers better understand the nutritional profile of the foods they're eating so they can choose foods with nutrients that best fuel their bodies. Potatoes have no fat, cholesterol, or sodium. They're naturally gluten-free. No wonder experts agree that fresh Idaho potatoes are a heart-healthy food. Find out more at IdahoPotato.com. From the age of 11, Matthew Zachary knew he was going to be a concert pianist. In fact, that's him at the keyboard. But those plans were derailed between his junior and senior years of college when his left hand started tingling. Before long, he was having trouble at the keyboard. By the end of the year, he couldn't even write his name. Zachary was diagnosed with a cancerous brain tumor, caught just in time. But 21 years later, he still feels its effects. Cancer is the gift that keeps on giving for way too many people, and not enough people understand that, are sensitive to it, and respect it. Just because I survived didn't mean I was cured. And the ensuing life after that diagnosis and surgery and radiation was very, very different than anything I'd ever expected. Zachary had neurosurgery and radiation, which produced severe temporary effects, such as skin burns, massive weight loss, body-wide inflammation, and a loss of his ability to walk. But he says it wasn't until a few years later that his problems really began. Those include dry mouth, esophagitis, bipolar. I have hypothyroidism, so I'm on thyroid medications. I have a chronic hormone imbalance, and I'm infertile. I get sick pretty often. I have a good immune system, but it's still not quite where I'd like it to be. I do have fatigue. I am predisposed to some heart damage, which I thankfully don't have, and I go to doctors very vigilantly once a year for a little maintenance tune-up. And I'm at risk for another cancer in my life. Zachary's not complaining. He says he's happy to manage his condition since it beats the alternative. Today, he's 42 and the founder and CEO of Stupid Cancer, an organization serving the needs of young adults who've had cancer. And there are plenty of them out there. Experts say nearly a half million people are alive today who were treated for cancer as children or adolescents. And many of them know that the book isn't closed when the doctor says you're cured. Oh no, the story is far from over. The therapies that we use in children in order to cure them, especially very young children, can have significant impact upon their health during childhood, adolescence, and adulthood both because they were children when they were treated and therefore they have a lot of development and growth that has to happen that the chemotherapy or radiation therapy can impact upon 
and because the diseases that we see in long-term survivors of childhood cancer are diseases of great concern that require screening and sometimes intervention to prevent them. That's Dr. Lisa Diller, Chief Medical Officer at the Dana-Farber Boston Children's Cancer and Blood Disorder Center and Professor of Pediatrics at the Harvard Medical School. The middle-aged adults that we are caring for now who are treated for childhood cancer, as many as two-thirds of them have at least one significant chronic condition, and many of them have multiple chronic conditions. Unfortunately, for the longer we follow survivors, the greater we start to appreciate the magnitude of the impact and of the occurrence of what we refer to as chronic health conditions. Dr. Les Robinson is Chair of Epidemiology and Cancer Control at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and Associate Director of the St. Jude Comprehensive Cancer Center. He says decades ago, doctors maximized the chances of survival by hitting cancer as hard as they could. By the age of about 45 to 50 years of age, almost 95% of childhood cancer survivors will have at least one chronic health condition. For instance, if we're talking about risks of cardiac dysfunction that might result from the treatment, those can be very serious, very severe life-threatening and even fatal. We have other types of outcomes on the other end of the spectrum that might be less life-threatening, such as infertility resulting from cancer therapy, but yet can have a very significant impact in terms of quality of life. Damage to the heart is exactly what happened to 40-year-old Keenan Green of Dallas. As a 12-year-old, he was treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma, he started having late effects of his cancer treatment about 20 years later. I was very active in basketball. I played in a company league, and we was going out for our next season, and I worked out three to four times a day like I was fired. But it was just that season that I could not get up and down the basketball court. So it just so happened I had a physical later on that month, and they found out my heart was enlarged. Eleven years later, Green got a heart transplant after his heart output declined to only about 15% of normal. Radiation for cancer treatment can do that, and chemotherapy can too. The treatment is extremely effective. Right now, over 95% of children with Hodgkin's lymphoma will be cured of their cancer and be long-term survivors. But to achieve that cure in the past, a considerable amount of treatment in terms of radiation and exposure to given drugs aren't involved. One of the drugs that has been very effective is a class of drugs called anthracyclines. And anthracyclines are known to be cardiotoxic. They can cause acute cardiac effects sometimes during the treatment for cancer. But more importantly, they are associated with very long-term risk. Patients like Green also have a higher risk for secondary cancer as a result of radiation treatment. It's very common in people who were treated for Hodgkin's lymphoma as children. For example, when adolescent girls were treated in the 70s and 80s, the standard of care was to receive radiation therapy to the site of the tumor itself, which most commonly was where the heart sits, in the middle of your chest, and where there are lymph nodes that can develop Hodgkin's disease. Well, what we didn't realize then that we realize now is that the risk of breast cancer in those young girls who were treated then, the risk for them to develop breast cancer later in life is extremely high. In fact, their risk of developing breast cancer is comparable, potentially even higher than women who have a BRCA1 mutation. But if they know that they received chest radiation, the recommendations are that they initiate breast screening at a much earlier age so that you can detect those breast tumors at a much earlier progression 
they're more easily treated and hopefully, you know, will not result in any really serious long-term morbidity or mortality. The important thing is that patients know they have a risk for breast cancer, heart failure, or other disorders as a result of their childhood cancer treatment, and that their doctor knows it as well. Then the patient can be screened from an early age and even given medications to stop the progression of some diseases. But often that doesn't happen. Survivors may have no clue what kind of treatment they received as an infant, for example, and have no idea what their risks are as a result. So a 30-year-old who received treatment for childhood cancer at age 18 months may not really know a whole lot about their childhood cancer, may not self-identify as a childhood cancer survivor, and his or her parents may no longer be around in order to encourage them to get the right kind of care. As a doctor, who takes care of childhood cancer survivors, I've been struck by how major events in an adult's life tend to bring them forward to receive the kind of care you're talking about. Very often a fiancé will bring in a future husband and say, now tell me what he had and tell me what kind of care he needs because the person themselves may not be too aware or have a lot of information. Most primary care doctors also have extremely limited experience with childhood cancer survivors. They may have only one or two in their entire practice, so they often don't think about it much or know what to look for. Zachary says the patient may end up being treated just like anyone else. There's a massive elephant in the room in primary care where they're not trained to truly look beyond the little sheet you fill out in your triage charts about your health history. They could ask you, oh, cancer? What was that? Oh, I had it 20 years ago. Oh, well, how are you feeling? There is a shared responsibility for patients to know what happened to them as well as doctors to understand what that means. But when you're diagnosed as a child or a teenager and you're 20 years out, it's hard to remember what happened to you back then. It's different when you're diagnosed in your 50s, 60s, and 70s because that's right then and there. So specifically unique to pediatrics, teenagers, adolescents, young adults is this massive disparity of remembering what your treatments were and articulating that to primary care and then having primary care be able to filter that to treat you individually. A survey by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital finds that less than a third of adult survivors are getting care that focuses on their childhood cancer. That's why a few major cancer centers around the country have established clinics designed for lifelong follow-up for these patients. But many survivors don't live near one. Diller and Robison say they need to shoulder the responsibility for their own care. That's really one of the challenges that we face is really to be able to educate healthcare providers. And we've actually found now that the best way to approach this, that we think the way that's going to be most effective is really to educate the survivor themselves educate them to be their own advocate and to be knowledgeable advocates in terms of knowing what their history was, what their treatment was, and knowing what their health care needs are going forward so that they can inform their health care providers. The way we've tried to address that is by empowering patients and making sure that they have treatment summaries that have specific guidelines around how a patient exposed to certain therapies should be screened. Diller says doctors hope today's cancer treatments will result in much less collateral damage in the future. They've learned how to treat patients with much more precision, with lower doses of drugs and radiation, yielding just as high a survival rate with fewer side effects. With time and with the appreciation of these late effects that have occurred, much of the treatment strategies in many of these diseases for newly diagnosed patients right now is how do we give an appropriate balance between being able to effectively 
treat the cancer, cure the cancer, but do that with the minimal amount of long-term late effects. Priorities had to be put. I mean, if you were not able to cure a patient, they wouldn't be able to develop late effects. So it was really an evolution over time to where precision in terms of treating cancer improved, survival rates improved, then greater emphasis being placed on how to prevent long-term consequences. Diller and Robison suggest that patients get their records where they were treated if they don't have them already. And if a late effects treatment center isn't nearby, consult with an oncologist to plot out appropriate screening and care. Support is also still important. Zachary's group is one place to find it, at stupidcancer.org. You can find out more about all of our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. We've all seen a lot of stories in the news about contaminants in drinking water. No wonder that 86% of American adults have concerns about their water quality. So what can you do to ensure you have cleaner, safer, more pure-tasting water for you and your family? Culligan International's Truth About Water campaign can help. Zach Schreck is Director of Product Management at Culligan. Thousands of water systems around the country show excess levels of contamination. Testing the water coming out of your tap is extremely important especially if you notice corroded plumbing fixtures, unpleasant odors and tastes, or discolored water. Did you know that some contaminants have no odor, taste, or smell? Your local Culligan man can test your water and provide solutions for your particular problems. For example, a reverse osmosis drinking water system is convenient and cost-effective, giving you great-tasting water right from the tap. National Drinking Water Month in May is more relevant than ever. Visit Culligan.com to contact your local Culligan man and find out more about Culligan water treatment products. Medical notes this week. One of the most dangerous professions of all is firefighter, but the job carries more than just the risk involved in answering a call. Nearly half of all on-duty deaths are a result of heart attacks, often after the call is over. Now a study in the journal Circulation may show why. Researchers say that extreme heat combined with physical exertion dehydrate the body, divert blood flow to the skin, lower blood pressure, and increase blood clotting in the body. Firefighters involved in the study rescued a simulated victim during exposure to temperatures as high as 750 degrees. People are supposed to get eight hours of sleep per night if they can, but more than nine hours a night could be an early sign of dementia. A study in the journal Neurology finds that elderly people who consistently sleep more than nine hours a night have twice the risk of dementia over the next 10 years as people who sleep less. The risk climbs to six times normal in long sleepers without a high school degree. And finally, if you want people to avoid junk food and vending machines, make them wait. In a study presented to the Society of Behavioral Medicine, Researchers rigged vending machines with a 25-second delay before dispensing junk food and a notice of the delay on the machine's LED screen. Purchasers had a chance to buy something else to avoid the delay, and many did. Healthy snack purchases increased by as much as 5%. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.